life recently and uh, tell a little bit about how good God's been to you. Let's take a few moments to do that tonight, all right? Who would like to start? Anybody at all? All right, Miss Linda. Amen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Amen. 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 I appreciate him doing that. We're just starting a brand new stream back here. We're working on it with our uh, camera in the back and uh, a little better quality. And uh, as soon as we get all the wrinkles and bugs worked out of that, we'll show you how to get a hold of that one as well. And uh, But the audio is a little bit cleaner on that one. And uh, so hopefully we'll do that. But I appreciate Brother Keith. been doing it for over a year now, and I think, or about a year. And it's been a real blessing, I know, for a lot of folks. And so we sure appreciate that. All right, something else. Maybe God's done good for you. Miss Kim? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Good. Good. Right. Right. Well, good. Amen. So that's a praise and a prayer request there both. And uh, certainly I know you've been concerned for him for a long time. And uh, continue to pray for her father, uh, if you didn't hear that, uh, to be saved. All right? Somebody else? Yes, ma'am. I didn't catch all that. Oh, okay. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. All right. Miss June? Yes. of his son, yep. <coughs> Amen. 
Amen. Amen. And I'll tell you, we trust those things, whether we know them now or not. One day we will know them. We don't always know what God's purpose was, but we trust that it was for our good and for His glory. And uh, certainly we're thankful that God protected you too. In this case, we already know why He protected you though, because we had to have the teen afterglow tonight. So, <laughs> But uh, we certainly appreciate all that God... You know, it's amazing. I think we're going to be amazed when we get to heaven. And see all the things that God did that we didn't even know, we, we didn't even we didn't even understand. Uh, it, it could have been that that car accident was going to be so much worse than it was, and God just put put a hand of protection around her. And uh, we we won't see a lot of those things many times till we get to heaven. And I don't know about you, I'm excited to get there and to see some of those things. And uh, I'll tell you, I don't I don't think it's going to be much longer. Amen. I don't think it's going to be much longer. And we can look at that as Christians joyfully, but it also ought to motivate us and burden us because that means we don't have a lot of time to do much more work for the Lord. And so if we're ever going to do anything for Him, we need to get on with it. Amen? All right. Hebrews chapter number 8 tonight. Hebrews chapter 8. I have taught on this subject uh, briefly, kind of an abbreviated study on it uh, prior to tonight. And I want to take a little bit of time this evening. I know we have to, uh, we're having the Lord's Supper here at the end of the service. And, uh, I want to teach some of these things because I believe they're critical for understanding, especially as Christians. And, uh, Hebrews is a, um, tremendous book. Uh, some people consider it one of the harder books to read. Um, but yet there's so much, uh, just unbelievable truth in it. I uh, read a book years ago called The the Way Into the Holiest. I think it was by um, F.E. Marsh, I believe, is the man who wrote it. And uh, just a tremendous commentary on the, the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to tell you, I got about a third of the way into the book. And, boy, I just God started stirring my heart uh, with some things. And I just started rejoicing in what God had done. And it was such a joy and a blessing to me. And I'll share some of those thoughts with you, Lord willing, tonight as we go through, uh, beginning in Hebrews chapter number 8. Now, the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Father, we come to you tonight. We're thankful for your word and how it teaches us truth. And I pray that for the next few moments you will help us to uh, have a clear thought and a clear mind and be able to understand this deep and dark truth that many times people look at and are confused with or don't fully understand. But Lord, yet there's such a wonderful and brilliant truth in it. I pray that you would help to encourage and stir our hearts, that we would understand this thing and so 
full, more fully understand the whole uh, process of uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper and all that we do with it. I pray that you'll bless the time that we spend here together tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When God first established the Old Testament tabernacle and the way that He built it and set up the priesthood and the sacrifices to take place, He had a, a, an outer courtyard, and the outer courtyard was uh, for the priests to serve their daily ministrations of the temple. And then they had uh, a smaller place that was called the Holy Place. And only certain of the priests were allowed even to go into that area. And then at the innermost part of the Holy Place... They had what was called the Holy of the Holies. There's a, that was where the veil was that some of you remember reading when Christ was crucified. Uh, the veil was rent in twain from top to bottom, or from uh, top to bottom, the Bible says. That's the veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. Now inside of the Holy of Holies sat the Ark of the Covenant, which was considered to be the mercy seat of God. And once a year for the atonement of sins, the high priest would take the sacrifice, and uh, with his vesture on and everything the way that he was, he's been uh, purified at the, uh, the laver and has not been touched with human hands. He's gone through all of the processes of purification, and the sacrifice has been purified and slain, and he now has the blood. He backs in through the veil of the temple into the Holy of Holies, not able to face the mercy seat. He backs into the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat behind him, and that blood was a covering for the sins or the atonement of sins for the next year for the people. And so it was one of these things that took place on a regular basis. We find as we read here in Hebrews chapter number 8 that the old tabernacle that was built and then later on Solomon's temple and then of course it was destroyed and rebuilt. And so later on the second temple that was built. These places were places where God sent... Uh, his divine presence. In fact, if you take time to read the account when the tabernacle was built and they were full, uh, they were done with it and they uh, were dedicating the tabernacle, the Bible says that the Shekinah glory of God or uh, the, the pillar that had been leading them during those times, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night came and rested over top of the Holy of Holies and literally His glory and His presence filled the Holy of Holies. God Himself was there. Later on, you'll find that the Bible says in, in the book of Haggai, as they were rebuilding the temple uh, after it had been destroyed, that he tells them, Haggai tells them, God tells Haggai to tell the people that if they will go and take the wood and the, and the, uh, the materials and rebuild it, that he says in chapter number 2 that he will fill it with his glory. The glory did not rest in the magnificence and the workmanship and the craftsmanship of the temple, but the true glory of the temple was the very presence of God himself. We get to chapter number 8 in Hebrews, and we find that the tabernacle and the, later on the temple of Solomon and the one that was rebuilt are simply shadows, and that's what the Bible uses here, the word that is used here, uh, as shadows of things that are in heaven. Look at verse number 5. Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. We're going to see that again in just a few moments as we go down through here. There was a Old Testament practice that was put into place way back even in the Garden of Eden. And it was the process that God established of making covenant. And the covenant was something that down through history, for as long as 
uh, Adam and Eve, uh, since the time of Adam and Eve and all the way up until even present day, was intended to be a bonding of uh, two minds and two hearts. And the idea that uh, uh, when you made a covenant with somebody, you were not to break that covenant even to the point of death. Now, I'm going to cover a lot of material here very quickly by way of background, and then it'll hopefully help explain some of the things we're going to study out of Hebrews tonight. But in the process of making covenant, two parties would come together, and they would take a sacrifice, and they would divide the sacrifice into two halves and lay it out. And the blood of the sacrifice would come and pool into the middle of the sacrifice. The parties that were entering into the agreement or the covenant, one would stand on one side of the sacrifice and one would stand at the other. And they would begin what was called the infinity walk. And they would begin to walk one one way and one the other. And they would come around the sacrifice. And they would come and meet in the middle, standing in the pool of blood. And at this point, they would take and do several things as they spoke about the uh, terms of the covenant. This is what we're agreeing to. And uh, then, and w- what they were doing by this is saying... Uh, in essence, let what happened to this sacrifice happen to me if I break covenant. And so while they're standing there, they would talk about the, the blessings and what was called the cursings or the punishment of the covenant uh, if it was ever broken. While they were there, they would exchange several things. And I love this because it's amazing. God set all this up. But they would exchange names. Uh, from that point on, they were uh, exchanging uh, everything that belonged to them, one belonged to the other, and vice versa. They would exchange their cloaks. They would exchange their weapons belts, meaning that I will come to your defense as though it were my own life at stake. Uh, they would um, uh, exchange their possessions in such a way that there would be a gift of exchange, stating that everything that I have is now yours and everything that you have is now mine. And the idea was that when a covenant was done and it was sealed... That they were no longer two individuals, but they were now one unity. And literally, if, 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 let's say Brother Larry and I entered into a covenant and we walked to, uh, we went to McDonald's tonight for dinner and I didn't want to pay for mine, I could just as easily reach into his wallet and take his money and pay for it as if it were my own money. That was what the idea of covenant was. It was a unifying of the two. And uh, they would then finish up dealing with that and they would complete the infinity walk by going to the other opposite sides from where they started. If you were to look at it from a bird's eye view, it would literally make an infinity signal uh, symbol and that's why it was called the infinity walk. The, uh, they would also take and they would cut the wrists while they were in the middle. They would cut the wrists and they would take some of the dirt or some of the ash that was there under the sacrifice They would rub it into the cut to make an indelible mark, and it would basically give a tattoo signal uh, of the fact that they were a covenant man. From that day on, they were known as a covenant man. Um, It was said of uh, Dr. Stanley when he went into the interior of Africa looking for Dr. Livingston, that by the time he got all the way in to Dr. Livingston, one of the the few white men that actually penetrated through the cannibalistic tribes of Africa at that time, it was said that by the time he reached Dr. Livingston, he had cut the covenant with over 50 tribes in Africa. And what that meant from the very first time he met a tribe and cut the covenant with them was if he came to the next tribe and the next tribe was a cannibalistic tribe, all he had to do was unbutton his sleeve and roll his arm up and walk through the camp showing that he was a covenant man. And the tribe over there knew that they were not to touch him or the entire tribe that was back here would come after them, every one of them, till all of them were to the point of death. They were not going to touch him. He had cut the covenant with 50 different tribes. Nobody would lay a hand on him. 
And it's amazing to me that even in the darkest parts of Africa, they understood the concept of covenant. Uh, we still practice a lot of things today that are left over from Old Testament covenant, uh, what God had established. We call it a marital covenant when two people get married. And there's a procession and the walk of the bride coming down uh, the aisle is not just something of insignificance, but it symbolizes the infinity walk that was part of the covenant walk. They stand at the uh, up in front of the preacher and in front of the witnesses, and a lot of civilizations have not done this anymore. They don't cut the hands literally, but they do have them join right hands. And the idea is signifying that we're now becoming one. They exchange names. In other words, the bride takes the name of the husband. They exchange material things. They give gifts that are given and taken. Vows are stated. And uh, as they get done with it, there's a recession that takes place as they finish the infinity walk. Uh, We have receptions afterwards. And one of the things that was done at the end of the covenant was they would then have a covenant meal. And the covenant meal was there for the purpose of remembrance of the covenant. And so they would have this meal and each would take food and drink and feed the other. You remember at the Lord's table at the Last Supper as Jesus is sitting there with His disciples in the book of Matthew chapter 28 as He, I believe it was, as He uh, takes and He breaks the bread and the Bible says He gives it unto His disciples and says, Take, eat, this is My body which is broken for you. And the Bible says, likewise, the cup also. He gives it to them and He says, this is the New Testament in My blood. This do in remembrance of Me. Reminder of the New Covenant. We find that all of these things were done before Christ as a shadow of the things in the heavenlies. Now look with me, if you will, in verse number 7 of chapter 8. For if that first covenant had been faultless, we're speaking here now of the Mosaic covenant, the covenant of the law, the covenant that was given uh, in the Ten Commandments in the time that God spent with Moses on Sinai. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For the finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the day is come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put, uh, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith, A new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So we have an Old Covenant or an Old Testament. The Bible will refer to the word covenant here in the next chapter as Testament. And our Bible is broken up into two divisions. A lot of people don't understand why. But there's the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, if you will. And now with the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we now have ushered in the New Covenant that's more perfect. It's a beautiful thing. Um, As we realize what takes place here at Calvary, we understand that The Lord is now the surety for the new covenant. 
Uh, you remember the story, I don't know if all of you remember this, but there was a story where God came to Abraham and He said, I'm going to make covenant with you, Abraham. And He said, I want you to go and prepare the sacrifice. And you remember, some of you will remember the story. Abraham goes and he uh, lays the sacrifice out and he begins to wait on God. And he waits 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 and it doesn't seem to, uh, nothing seems to be happening there. And uh, the birds come and he drives them away and he waits all day. And finally he falls into a deep sleep. And while he's in this sleep, uh, he sees a vision of a burning furnace, a smoking furnace coming out of heaven and passing through the, the covenant uh, sacrifice. We find that there's a great picture that is given here as God's Son, God the, God the Son, comes and does the walk of the covenant on Abraham's behalf. And here's why. Because when man enters covenant with God, we can never keep covenant. We will always fail. We will always, because of our whole old human nature, our old sinful nature, break covenant with God. And so there has to be something that is our advocate. There has to be something that is in our place because the penalty of breaking covenant is what? What is it? It's death, isn't it? So we find here as we get to verse number nine, chapter number 9, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of the divine service and a world san- worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So speaking here of the holy of holies. Which had the golden censer. And the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant, that would be the tables of the Ten Commandments. And over in the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year. And not without blood which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, thus this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. In other words, that Old Testament sacrifice, that Old Covenant sacrifice, was not a full payment. It was just simply a foreshadowing of what was to come. The Bible says in verse number 9, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service, look at this, perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Can I tell you this? The Bible says this over and over and over again. The law never came to save us. The law came to show us our need of salvation. It was our schoolmaster. And so the imperfection of the old law, the old covenant, was that it could not save us. There was something that had to repetitively and continuously be done year after year. It was weak in that aspect, in that it had human priests. And so we find as we get to verse number 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. (laughs) And here's the good part of it. But Christ being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Look at this. Not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. 
neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. He entered in, look at the next word here, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption of us all. You remember when Christ rose from the dead and He sees Mary in the garden? She doesn't know who He is and she call, He calls out Mary and immediately she knows who He is. I don't know exactly what she did, but I do know that Christ said, don't touch me. I don't know if she was running to Him to embrace Him, but something happened in that period of time where Christ said, don't touch me, for I have not what? I have not yet ascended to my Father. Yet 24 hours later, He's meeting with His disciples. And the Bible says that they are handling Him and touching Him. We don't know the, the, the step-by-step things that took place in that 24-hour period. But what we do know is that from the time that He met Mary until the time that He met His disciples, somewhere between that time, Christ ascended to the heavenly mercy seat with His own blood and sprinkled it on the tabernacle that was not made with hands as a covering for your sins and mine. And I like this because the Bible says in verse number 12, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? By the way, if you ever wonder why you're left here after you're saved, there's no better verse than this. We're left here to serve the living God. The Bible says in verse number 15, and for this cause... He is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament, which was dedicated without blood, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no, there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. What are the patterns of the things that are in the heavens? Well, that would be the earthly tabernacle, the earthly vessels, the earthly te- uh, temple. Those were the pattern. Remember, Christ gave Moses very specific instructions. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So the earthly sacrifices were purged by the blood of sacrifices here on this earth. But the better the better tabernacle and the better things that are up in heaven are, are purified. The Bible says in verse number 24, uh, I'm sorry, verse number 23, are 
but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. What a truth. Nor yet, as he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Wow, what a truth. So Christ was once offered, verse 28, watch this, to bear the sins of what? Many. And unto them that look to Him, look for Him, shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. What an amazing truth. There was a song years ago written, and it was a great song, and it caused you to ponder some things And the gist of the song was, does he still feel the nails every time I fail? And I'm not saying that God does not sorrow when we fail, but I will say this. God doesn't have to be re-crucified every time we sin. He died once for all. For our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. Verse chapter number 10, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers therefore thereunto perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is remembrance again made of sins every year. It was a time of reflection on your sin that this is something that is serious to God. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me, and burnt offering and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. These animals can't pay the price, but you've given me a body. And I'm coming. And I'm going to do your will. We're reminded of the time that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane just before His crucifixion. As the human agonizing side of Him began to say, If there be any other way, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thy will be done. Above when He said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for the sin, Thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I am come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He took the old covenant away so he could establish the new and the better covenant. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ, of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, 
from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said, before, this is the covenant. Now notice this. That I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say His flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith. And these are the things I want you to notice tonight. That when we get saved, God gives these privileges to us. The first one we find is we get to draw near unto God with a true heart. We get to come into the very throne room of God. Isn't it wonderful that whether we're driving down the road or whether we're walking down the street or sitting in our houses, we can begin to speak and to walk into God's very presence and know that He hears us as His children. We gain that in salvation. We gain that because of the sacrifice and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us, verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Notice this, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Jesus established a new covenant. And you know what the most amazing thing to me is? He's the one that the covenant depends on. Not me. Turn back to chapter 7 for a moment. I want you to see something. After we read about this new covenant that was made at Calvary. That frees man from sin. That cleanses us from sin. Look what the verse says here in chapter number 7. In verse number, It will begin in verse number 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. He's made a surety. He was the guarantor. He was the co-signer. Just recently, about a year and a half ago, I co-signed a loan for my daughter so she could buy her first car. And when I put my name on that paper, she said, Oh, I finally entered into a lot of debt. I said, No, you didn't. I did. Because the truth of the matter is, if she doesn't pay the bill, guess who steps in and says, you know what, I'll take care of it. Put that on my account. And at Calvary, Jesus said, I want to pay for Greg's sin. I'm going to enter into a covenant with the Father on His behalf. And because He can't keep covenant... When he fails, Father, just put that one on my account. What a covenant. What a Savior. My salvation is not dependent upon me. My salvation is dependent upon Him. Now, lest we start saying, well then, boy, that just gives me liberty to do whatever I want to do. Then we need to go to Romans chapter number 6. Read what the Apostle Paul said. 
What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave Himself for me. It's no longer me that's working in my life. And no longer left up to me to, to try to earn my salvation through the law, which could never have saved me anyway. I now put my faith in Jesus Christ. And He's the guarantor and the surety of my salvation. And that's one of the greatest truths we can have to say once saved, always saved. Because He's not going to fail in the in the covenant. I might, but not Him. Verse number twenty three, chapter seven. And they were truly, and they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, knowing all of that. We know the process of covenant and how the covenant used to be made. By the way, if you take and you walk through the last days of Christ, you'll see how He fulfilled every step of covenant. He walked the walk of Calvary, didn't He? There He was laid open and sacrificed in front of all of the people. His own blood was spilt and the marks are still left there, those indelible marks. Christ in heaven now is a covenant man on our behalf. We exchanged names, didn't we? We're now called Christians. The Bible says He has given me a new name. He is our defender. The Bible says He is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in time of need. He is my fortress. He tells us in Second Peter chapter number 1 that He's given us all things that pertain unto life. Philippians chapter number 4, But my God shall supply all your need according to His glory by Christ Jesus. He's given us all things. Everything that's available to Him is available to us. And just before He went to Calvary, He had the covenant meal. The Bible says, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. We come to the Lord's table because in the Old Testament times, under the Old Covenant, they had an annual reminder of what had been done to cover their sins, what was going to be coming through the Lord Jesus Christ in years ahead. It was a somber moment year after year as the high priest took the blood and went into the Holy of Holies. 
we don't have such an annual event. Oh, we celebrate Easter and Christmas and certain holidays that we focus on these things, certainly. But Jesus said this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. We partake of the Lord's Supper. It's a sobering moment in our hearts to realize what God did for us. It doesn't make us any more saved. The juice and the wine does not, the fruit of the vine does not turn into Christ's literal blood, but it is a reminder. It's the covenant meal. The one that from time to time would be observed by both participants of a covenant to be reminded of the covenant. A very sobering moment. The church in Corinth was abusing it, if you will. They were coming to the Lord's table and making light of it and turning it into a meal where it was all about self-gratification in the meal and very little reflection on what the Lord had done. And Paul, in writing to them, said after the same manner, he also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat of this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. I have... Over the years, had times when we have observed the Lord's Supper and after the service was over, someone would come back and almost piously uh, lean over and kind of whisper and say, Pastor, I, I abstained from the Lord's Supper tonight because there's some things in my life that just are not right right now. I didn't want to come to the Lord's table unworthily. And while Paul gives a very sober warning here, the intent was not to keep people from the Lord's table. The intent was that they would examine themselves. Look what the Bible says. But let a man, at verse 28, examine himself and so let him eat. It was a time for reflection and saying, Lord, if there's something in here that would cause me to eat or drink of the Lord's table unworthily, I want to get it right. I want to get it right right now so I can partake of the Lord's table. In Keith Heights Baptist Church, we believe in what we call close communion. We believe that a man ought to be and a woman ought to be scripturally saved and baptized in a church that believes the way we do about salvation and baptism. And so let him come. I don't believe that the... I know there are some that differ with me on that. I don't believe that the church is the governing body of who participates or does not in the Lord's Supper. I don't find that in Scripture. 
that the church judges the individual as to whether they're allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper or not. I do believe in church discipline, but we do not find it in regards to the Lord's table. We find men examining themselves, and so let them come. And even with church discipline, it is not for the purpose of exclusion. It's for the purpose of getting it right and including them. We find here that we are to come periodically from time to time. I'm thankful our church does not observe the Lord's Supper on a schedule because to me it would become ritualistic. But from time to time, as we are in need of being reminded, we have the Lord's table and we observe the Lord's Supper for one reason. Because God said, do this in remembrance of me. I want to ask if the usher, if the deacons would come at this time and prepare for the Lord's table. If you've been scripturally saved and baptized, we would like to invite you to participate.